Hello, I'm Carl Honore, and slowing down is vital to my well-being. Welcome to the show, where to start? Well, firstly, a huge thank you to everyone that supported us in this week and helped us become the number one podcast in the country. We know a big part of that was due to our episode with the phenom that is the Iceman himself, Wim Hof. So thanks again to Wim and a heartfelt thank you to you. As we approach the end of the year and hopefully the end of lockdown, it feels like a good time to set up the positive change we want to realize in our life. Now we believe that it all starts with taking the smallest, simple step. Hopefully, I guess we can provide a place to start, all backed by science, that can help you find momentum and get you places that you never thought possible. But just before we start, this wouldn't have been possible without the support of our friends at AIA, who've been on the path with us on this project really right from the start. Like what we're trying to do there, AIA Vitality Platforms, a fully science-backed health and wellbeing program. It's about making small incremental changes so we can all live healthier, longer, better lives. This week on the podcast, before everything changed, we were living in a world that was addicted to speed. We were stuck in fast forward. One of the few silver linings of the last two years is it slowed us down. And for a lot of people, that felt good. In this episode, we find out why courtesy of a fascinating conversation with the author of the bestseller in praise of slowness and the leading voice in the slow movement, Carl Honoré. First of all, Carl, I want to say thank you so much for being here. Um, we're, we're tuning into you in London and I want to say, I, I read your book a few years ago and it kind of reframed everything for me. In researching for this interview, the, the quote, in a world addicted to speed, slowness is a superpower. You know, I love that quote. And I think before we dig into the last year and how everyone sort of slowed down and it felt good, let's just mm-hmm. give a snapshot of how we got here. All right. This cult of hurry, we're all stuck and fast forward. And it feels like in the last few years, it's gotten even worse. How did we get here? Well, gosh, I mean, it's a, it's a big question with lots of different variables. I think you can go back way before the modern era, right? As soon as mankind started measuring time, right back to sundials, right? As soon as sundials appeared in ancient Rome, people began freaking out about their time, day being parceled up into ever small parcels and they were having to rush from one Senate meeting to the next orgy and this kind of thing. So there was right away, as soon as man starts measuring time, the tables flip and time starts measuring man. You're on the clock, right? So you've got that from the start. I think there's also always been this idea of mortality, right? We have the ultimate deadline. So there's only so much time you have on earth. So I guess there may be a an argument there to go a little faster to cram more in, but it's really when you hit the modern era, right? With the industrial revolution and all those machines allowing t- us to do stuff faster and faster, we created a consumerist culture that's all about have it all now, more and more. And it's just ratcheted up. It's been on an upward curve since the 19th century, the last few years, you know, with uh, social media and, and high tech and smartphones everywhere has just taken it up to, you know, we're, we're it's like the old spinal tap thing, you know, the speedometer has gone up to 11, right, in the last few years. And it's just, we've, you know, we've fallen into the absurd now, so that even things that are supposed to be slow, we try to speed them up too. So I, I'm talking to you from London, which is wonderful, right? I love London. But there's a gym about two blocks from where I'm sitting, which offers an evening course in speed yoga, right? For people <laughs> who've, who've decided that it's, you know, the, even just bending at the lotus position is too slow for them, right? And another one I love is a friend of mine before the pandemic got invited in the United States to a drive-through funeral 
right? So <laughs> the church puts the coffin at the entrance, the mourners pull up and say farewell to a loved one through a pane of glass, right? So it's fast, but the question then obviously is, is it really a funeral? And I think when we've reached the point where every moment of the day is a race against the clock, every moment is a dash to the finish line we never reach, and then we're just racing through our lives instead of living them, right? And I think that's the sense a lot of people have now. Yeah, look, for the, the bit that landed for me in the book, you know, I've got um, a little niece and I know it was a while ago now, but it's always personal, right? And it's for you, it's your son, it's a bedtime story. Tell that story. Yeah, I mean, I think that when we get stuck in fast forward, it always takes a shock to the system to make us realize that we've forgotten how to put on the brakes and that we're paying a price for that. For many people, it's an illness. The body says one day that, you know, no more speed, no more, you know, burnout. My wake up call came, as you say, when I started reading bedtime stories to my son. And I was just so fast in those days, right? I'd be speed reading Snow White, uh, skipping lines. I became an expert on what I call the multiple page turn technique, which I don't know. If, <laughs> you know, you try three, four, can you smuggle five pages past the kid? But you never can, right? Because they know the stories back to front. So my son, he would always catch me. I'd say, Daddy, why are there only three dwarves in the story tonight? You know, what, what, what happened to Grumpy? And this really lamentable state of affairs. I'm laughing about it now, but it's appalling, really, isn't it? You know, it went on for quite a while until I caught myself flirting with buying a book I'd heard about called The One Minute Bedtime Story. So Snow White in 60 Seconds. And I heard that my first reaction was, hallelujah, man. I need to get that book now, right? Amazon, drone delivery. But then the second the second reaction came in like a light bulb over the head. And I just thought, what? Am I? Is this really me now? Am I racing through life so fast that I'm even prepared to fob off my little boy with a sound bite instead of a story at the end of the day. And that was the, that was kind of hitting the rock bottom. And it was a moment of pretty searing epiphany. And and that's when everything pivoted and changed for me. Yeah. Now look, the Godfather of slow. I, I love that title. And <laughs> I, you know, I know that you wrote this book a while ago now, and the world just seems to be turning faster and faster. But this last year and a half, this pandemic slowed us down. So many of my friends were like, oh man, I kind of like this lockdown, you know, it slowed me down. It's a simpler life. And I kind of want your take on that. Would this be the greatest silver lining of the last year and a half? I I think so. It's funny, you know, when when the pandemic first hit and we all got locked down, People were writing to me from all over the world saying, you must be so happy, right? <laughs> because the world has been forced to slow down. And let me just get it on the record up front that I am never been happy about this pandemic. It's a total nightmare, right, for everyone in lots of different ways. But the key words there, you've just uttered them, are silver lining. And I do think we've been forced into a global workshop in slow. And many of us, not everyone, because it's been, you know, I think a lot of people have struggled to slow down for what, you know, but I think many people have savored and tasted what real good slow feels like, you know, just as you say, simpler life. I mean, the whole FOMO culture, right? Fear of missing out. Suddenly when there's nothing to miss out on, people thought, actually, this is pretty good, right? And they started talking about JOMO, right? The joy of missing out, you know, just doing less, doing fewer things, giving your time and attention fully to the few things that matter to you and letting everything else just fall by the wayside. I think a lot of people got a lot of clarity over this last year and a bit. And if, and if the pandemic had been a two-week, two-month affair, I don't think we'd be having this conversation now, but in more than a year is enough to reset people, to reboot how we feel about time in our lives. And so what you don't have in a fast-forward roadrunner life is the space, the bandwidth, and the time to pause and reflect, look into yourself, ask yourself the bigger questions such as, 
you know, who am I? What's my purpose? Am I living the right life for me? You're just on a hamster wheel grappling with the small stuff. Like where are my keys? I'm late for my 11 a.m., right? But during the pandemic and the lockdown, people actually had time to pause and reflect. And what happened? They started grappling with those questions. They started doing that metaphysical homework that we've been booting down field for years. Suddenly we did it. And what came out of it? Well, many people, I, I'm sure you'll say the same in your so, social circle. In my group of people I know, you see it on social media, you see it in the mainstream media too. People everywhere have come out of the pandemic saying, you know what? I've had some time to think for the first time ever maybe. And I realize now that the life I was living before wasn't the right life for me. So I'm going to change my career or I'm going to leave that relationship or I'm going to move from London to the countryside or the countryside to London, you know, make big, deep seismic tectonic changes that can only really be made wisely if you slow down and think it through first. So I think for a lot of people, this is going to have been a real inflection point in a good way. There is that other side though. And there was some people that are like, oh, this, this is a sentence, you know, I don't want to be told what to do. And I think that the most important thing for me with this series is how do we give people actionable things that they can do? And so if we start there, we're all coming out of this, hopefully, how do we reboot our lives? What's, what's the first thing that you would tell people to do? Mm -hmm. I would tell people to, and I was telling people this all the way through the pandemic, was to keep a record of the stuff that you were, the slow stuff you were enjoying at the time. Because it's so easy to enjoy it at the time and then forget it later, to get caught up in that vortex of FOMO and rush and distraction when things open up and speed up again. If you keep even now we're still kind of locked down. We're in most of us in many countries are still in a kind of weird limbo land. And there's still some of the slowness being pushed upon us. Pinpoint the stuff you really like and make a note to yourself, whether it's in a journal or a little video you shoot on your iPhone or a, a post on social media you can return to later, just so you kind of anchor that learning you've done now and return to it later, because it will, it will get, it will get blown out of the water if you don't. So that would be one thing I'd suggest. And then the other thing is, you know, once you, Nail, nail down the things you've enjoyed at the time. Make sure you embed in your schedule going forward beyond the pandemic. It's time for those activities. So if you've enjoyed going for an evening walk with your partner, don't just let that drop, right? Maybe you won't do it every night of the week as we did when we couldn't do anything else, but maybe you make sure you have two nights a week when you go for a long walk with your partner. Or if you were doing crafts with your children at home, you know, every other day because you were homeschooling or whatever, you go back to your kids, go back to school. Maybe you make sure you have one more day, one day a week doing it, just sort of keeping some of those things ticking over. I think that's a good way of um, preserving some of the good slow that was pushed on us. There's so many different things that slowness improves. You know, you talk about calmness, focus and energy, connection, meaning, creativity, pleasure. So much to dig into. And the book does yeah. it so well. You know, I read that thing and I just sort of so related to it. Um, just go a little bit in depth into some of those things that when we do them slower, they just land so much more on us. Gosh, where, where would I, I mean, you, you laid out a buffet of slow there in front of me where I, what will I pluck first to put on my plate? Maybe social relationships, right? Cause I think that's been one of the big breakthrough learnings for people is when everybody was stuck at home and every, the world was the doldrums and what was it that we really yearned for? It was human contact. It was those simple, slow moments of, you know, going for a walk with a friend in the park, you know, having a drink on the beach with someone, you know, going to play a game of tennis, just, or just touching, right? Just embracing, uh, you know, holding your grandmother, right? Um, 
giving your friend a hug at the end of a, you know, a particular, you know, a, a deep conversation about relationships or whatever it is. So I, I think that, again, the whole speed culture tells us that faster is always better, that in order to improve things, you speed them up. And that virus of hurry has infected the way we approach relationships. So whether it's on social media where we have 941 friends, but you know, when was the last time we spent a whole afternoon hanging out with one, right? Or you think of the sort of uh, certainly pre-COVID uh, dating culture, right? The kind of hookup um, Tinder culture of, you know, you know, swipe right, wham, bam, thank you, man, on to the next thing. Sort of, uh, I think a lot of that was pretty unsatisfying for people. And what the, what the pandemic, I think, has done is reminded us of just how important that is and how slowness is the is the avenue into deep relationships, right? You know, you cannot make someone fall in love with you faster because you want to get married next next month, right? It doesn't work that way. Uh, you can't, you know, forge a deep friendship by next week because you need to have someone to backpack around Asia with you, you know, or you can't download team spirit in a company tomorrow morning because you've got a big presentation to do, right? These things are, these human interactions are slow. They require time. They're messy. They're cl clumsy. They're wobbly. They're glorious, right? But they require time and attention. They require us to slow down. And I think that's been, I think for many people, that's been the big learning of the pandemic. And it's very often the first thing people say when, when I've, you know, work with people who have slowed down, one of the first things they'll say is, you know, I just, I realized how alone I was before. You know, I had a lot of very fast connections, but I didn't have real connections. And it's slowing down that deepens and brings texture and meaning and layer to, to any kind of relationship. So I think that's a, a huge win. Just can I just add as a footnote here? I mentioned in passing the dating thing. That was interesting. That when the COVID thing hit, that was something you read a lot about. Was that because people couldn't meet up, having swiped right, they were forced to slow down and 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 engage in a kind of slow courtship. And so you would hear, I mean, mainly women, but you hear some men too saying, you know, it was actually it's actually really lovely. It was a real relief that instead of just having to you know go straight for it, right. Um, it was, you know, we had a, we would have a Zoom dinner. Uh, we would talk. We would seduce each other, right? There was all that kind of Jane Austen sort of you know, build up that would go into it. And I think a lot of people are thinking, you know what? That that's something that got thrown out the window in the fast forward culture before. And I wouldn't mind hanging on to some of that after the pandemic too. So. Yeah, the, the the phrase I always use is, "What are you leaving on the table?" Right? By living life at the speed that we live, and one of the things I think is parenting. Is, is the kids that we see running these 13, 14 hour schedules are under this pressure to succeed. You know, that is, that is a, a pandemic of sorts in itself, isn't it? It is very much. And that's something I do a lot of work in is helping families and schools <laughs> slow down because we have handed the virus of hurry on to the next generation. I mean, children now, I mean, so often they just come out of the womb and they just hit the ground running, right? You know, it'll be a baby Einstein DVD here, a baby sign language class there, a Mandarin lesson in the Moses basket, right? And then endless extracurriculars. For a lot of kids now, childhood has come to resemble a race to perfection. But as you rightly say, it doesn't work. It simply doesn't work because children need slowness. They need the time and the space to explore the world on their own terms, at their own pace, to play freely without adults telling them how to play faster or better, to run reasonable risks, to get bored even, right? You know, we're all so terrified of boredom, but boredom's a good thing, right? In, in, in the right mm -hmm. dosage, <laughs> you know, yeah. throughout history, when a child told a parent they were bored, that was the child's fault, right? You know, your mom would say, well, go outside and play, uh, find a friend, or they would say, use your imagination. Now a kid tells their parent they're bored and 
parents, you think, oh, no, I'm failing as a mother, failing as a dad. Where's the iPad? Maybe we need another extracurricular to stop this boredom from happening. (laughs) But actually, no, what you need to do is back off, slow down, and let the boredom happen. Let it blossom. (laughs) Because it's in those moments of unstructured time, of not knowing what's coming next, of, of restlessness, of having to look into their own internal devices. That's when children learn how to invent, how to create, how to use their imagination, how to get on with their peers, how to enjoy the moment, how to be themselves, right? So that's why before the pandemic, and there's been a lot of you know ratcheting up during, there was a huge movement for slowing down childhood for ed- through schools, families, all kinds of things. So that's, yeah. And, and, and if, if we're going to slow down society, where do you start, right? You start with the kids. Yeah, I mean, to me, to me it's uh, boredom allows your mind to wander and that's where all the good stuff is. You know, it's, it's, it really is the stuff we're giving up by living life at the pace we do. And I so, I so relate to what you're saying around the, the friendships, you know, love of your job, you know, love of your partner, that, 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 that connection just comes from sort of slowing down and sort of less doing and more being. Yeah. I mean, we have become human doings, right? People are defined by their to-do list. And it's it's woven into our vernacular now, the idea that busier is better. And so when you meet someone in the street, you say, hey, how are you doing? They say busy. You think, what? I mean, and if you don't say busy, somehow that feels like an act of surrender, that you aren't busy. Well, gosh, you're wasting your time, right? You know, you, you slacker, you loser. But the whole idea of being busy constantly is just, it's preposterous, right? I mean, it's just not a sensible way to live a life or use time. I mean, it's, it's the, the, the secret sauce is actually very simple, right? It's about being present and in the moment, choosing the few things that really light you up and giving everything you've got to those few things. There's not much more to it than that in, in a lot of ways. People find it difficult to get to that place, but once they do, they don't go back, right? I mean, I mean, nobody, let's put it this way, flip it around the other way. Nobody lies on their deathbed and looks back and thinks, I wish I'd spent more time on Instagram. <laughs> or, or, or in the office, right? Putting together yeah. quarterly reports or shopping, right? Yeah. And yet what hoovers up the vast majority of our time, right? It's those three things. Uh, so a lot of it comes down to choice, right? Individual choice. What matters to me? You know, if you make the right choices there, then the rest of it falls into place. The, the pace, the rhythm, the cadence, all that stuff will just find its groove, the right groove for you if you get the priorities right. I kind of want to talk on, on that, that that cadence, as you say. For a lot of people, they are slow as lazy, you know, slow as unproductive. You know, what what do you say to those people? Uh, well, one word, which is wrong, <laughs> but then I usually back it up with something. I mean, the, the, the Economist magazine did a great survey looking at pace in the modern workplace a little while ago. And the final two lines of the survey are, in fact, a perfect summation of this whole slow philosophy. They are forget frantic acceleration. Mastering the clock of business means choosing when to be fast, right? And we all know that bit, right? But also when to be slow, right? When to be fast and when to be slow. When to be on and when to be off. When to lean in, but also when to lean back, right? And it's when you get that balance between different speeds, different cadences, different tempos, being on and off, right? It's when you get that, that's when the music and the magic happen everywhere from, you know, the bedroom, to the boardroom. And that's the Economist magazine telling us to slow down. It's not Buddhist monthly or acupuncture weekly, right? It's the in-house Bible of the go-getter, ambitious, entrepreneurial class, right? Who are coming to the same conclusion, which is as we kicked off our chat 
today with, you know, the inner world addicted to speed slowness really is a superpower. And it goes so far beyond just well-being, right, or relationships. It also nails it in the workplace because people who are stuck in fast forward at work make more mistakes. They're less focused. They can't see the big picture. They can't connect the dots. They're less creative. They can't connect with other, you know, all the stuff that makes you successful at work, all of that gets worse when you don't slow down. Sometimes is it okay to be fast though? You know, give us some examples of when speed is okay. There are many examples in, I mean, in the workplace, if you've got a big deadline, like a killer deadline, then you're going to have to be fast perhaps to get something over the line. But in order to, the whole point of thinking about fast and slow in the workplace is that you've got to do the slow in order to do the fast. So if you do the slow moments, then you're recharging yourself, you're replenishing your batteries, you're sharpening up your focus again, you're tapping into the creativity, you get that slow stuff done. And then when you're in a faster moment, you've got the toolbox, right? You're, you're, you're fired up, your avatar is up to maximum, right? So you can do the fast stuff as well. So I, I sort of think of it in a little bit, rather, rather than reducing it to, okay, at this moment, I'm going at 10 miles an hour, the next moment I'm going at 20. It's, it's really a state of mind. It's kind of saying, okay, I'm shifting through different states here, but we're, whatever I'm doing, however fast I'm moving my body, I'm keeping a slow core, right? I'm remaining focused. I'm remaining still. And I'm, I'm somebody, I'm a big sports. I play a lot of, always have, so play a lot of competitive sports. And anyone who plays them or knows anything about competitive sports is that it's a perfect metaphor for this whole slow, fast thing. Because if you think of the greatest athletes, right? What is the one thing, the greatest sportsmen? I mean, we're the Euros, right? The football is on here at the moment yeah. in Europe. You know, you think, or um, think of a, or no, Ronaldo, maybe not so much now, but you know, um, let's say Lionel Messi or, or all the great players in their prime. The one thing they have in common is that they're never in a rush. They never, they always seem to have enough time. They know when to stop, when to put their foot on the ball and pause, but they also know when to move at superhuman speed to, to destroy the opposition defense, right? But through all of that, whether their foot is on the ball or they're herring through the defensive line towards the goal, there's a kind of calmness about them. There's a kind of internal stillness. There's a slow control that's being exerted. So it kind of, it, it's sort of deep, like I say, it's sort of deeper than just saying, sometimes you run fast, sometimes you run, sometimes you run slow, because you can run fast, but be slow and in control and in the zone on the inside. That's what athletes call it, being in the zone, right? You forget the clock, you can move at extraordinary speed. Your body's doing all kinds of incredible things on the pitch, but you don't feel rushed, right? You're in a state of flow is another yeah. way to think about it. I was going to say, like, for, for I think for people, it's how to get into that flow state and it's it's balance, you know? And I think it's just living a, a more considered life, right? It's actually putting attention on the right thing rather than just sort of moving through life in autopilot. Yeah. I mean, I think autopilot's a good way to think of it. It's so many of us, I think, are just hurtling through life, ticking boxes, right? We're just scratching the surface, getting through the day and then the week and then the month. And then we get to the end of the year and think, oh my God, that was 2020. I can't remember, you know, and, and, and again, that I think people often say, well, what's one way to gauge whether I'm listening, I'm living too fast. What are the symptoms or the markers? And, and I often say that memory is one of them because I, I think it was Milan Kundera, the Czech novelist once said, there's an intimate bond between memory and slowness, right? So that when you're living fast and everything is a blur, nothing sticks, right? So you have that sense of you get to the end of the week and you look back and you think, wow, I can't even remember how that Netflix series I finished two days ago ended, right? You know, I know it ended. I know I finished, but I don't remember what happened to the last scene, right? I, or I cooked a meal for my partner, but I can't, what was it we ate? I can't remember. It was so, you know, 
and I think that that's a really good sign, a useful clue to the fact that you're living too fast. If nothing is sticking with you, because when you do slow down, when you're actually fully in those moments, it sticks, right? You, you build up a rich database of experience and memory. And so if you're getting through your life and it feels like it's skating past you and nothing is sticking, I think that's a sign that you probably need to reconnect with your inner tortoise. Yeah, and a tortoise. I, lo- I love it. And, and I think that we've got to be kind to ourselves as well because th- yeah. there's this technology and the way that it's built and the way we build this tech thinking that we'll automate our lives to build more space and to, to live and we just fill that with more work. But it's kind of, it's the way that this system's being put together. You know, it's, it's hard to slow down. It is hard to slow down, but hard is not the same as impossible. And, and it, especially when where tech is concerned, the, the default position of the tech industry is to, I mean, they invest vast sums and hire the best psychological brains on the planet to make it as addictive as possible, right? We, we know that. The apostates who've left Silicon Valley have told us that that's what the game is, right? So we know it's what we're carrying around. We know all of us are walking around with these little weapons of mass distraction in our pockets, right? So w- once you realize that that's what it's built to do, then you can start taking steps. You can start pulling levers to reassert control over your iPhone. You know, I, I'm not a Luddite. I love tech and I've got a phone and a, you know, I've got, I've got it all, right? But, but I don't feel tyrannized by it, right? I feel in control of it because I, I draw lines in the sand. You know, I switch it off or I, all my notifications, for instance, are permanently off, which means I'm never interrupted on someone else's timetable. I choose when to look and see what's happening in my inbox or whether someone has texted me or so on. So just a, a small little hack or flip like that can make a really big difference to your relationship with not only technology, but through that with time and experience and just being a human being in the world. So there are many things that can can be done. I do a lot of work also in Silicon Valley. I just throw in as an addendum, helping like in companies and in schools and so on, helping people slow down. And it's very telling what's going on there. These are the people who are on the hard front line of tech selling us gazillions of gadgets (laughs) that distract us all day long. But what are they doing in their own lives? I tell you what, they are holding these things back. They're not giving them to their children. They're sending their kids to, you know, Montessori schools that have no, no screens in the classroom. They've, they've crunched the numbers and read the data and parsed the studies. They know that this isn't good for us, right? To be always on, right? It's not, it's not healthy physically. It's not good for us emotionally, psychologically, metaphysically, you know, in any kind of way. So they're quietly in their own lives switching off. So, you know, there's a sign there that the wind, I think, is starting to blow in a different direction. And there's a whole slow tech movement, slow media movement, you know, people coming up with creative, unusual, quirky ways of just saying, yeah, we love this stuff, this tech, but we've got to find a way to humanize it. Can I just share one example with you, which I, I don't know if this is one that you see in um, in Sydney or Los Angeles. I mean, you, you certainly see it in New York and London. It's called this new ref, this thing called stacking where you, when, and this is when young people go out for a coffee at Starbucks or whatever, they all sit around the table together, pile up their phones in the middle in a stack. And whoever grabs the phone first to look at TikTok or it pays the bill for everybody else, right? <laughs> so it's just a nifty way of saying, you know, we have this moment here together. We'll never have this moment again. Why ruin it by trying to be in four other moments at the same time? And stacking is not something that was devised by burnt out baby boomers who didn't grow up with screens. This is something that's come from the digital natives who are saying, yeah, you know, we love social media, and but, you know, a but with a capital B, there, there need to be some lines, there need to be some 
So there needs to be some structure. It needs to be a bit of balance. So that, that gives me hope that this is not some lost generation or we've lost this battle. It's a battle, right? It's it's open-ended and we can we can turn the tide. To me, it really is the younger people that are leading this, you know, because young people are more um, aware of maybe what they're losing. And I find that my parents and maybe that age, it's very hard for them to get out of that mindset of like, got to work hard, head down, you know, long days, you know, I'll come home and go and visit my mom and she's still on the computer at 10 o'clock at night. And how, how do you get through to people that maybe have lived so much of their life one way that they don't know how to change? I think you do it with baby steps, right? You, what you can't do is turn up one day and say, okay, we're going to declare unilateral slow and from you know this day forward, everything is going to, I mean, that's often the way people want to do it, right? Because this is one of the ironies that I'm constantly tripping over is that people are so impatient nowadays they even want to slow down fast, right? So it's kind of, you know, oh, I, you know, I read your book or I saw you give a talk and I thought, yeah, I got to slow down. So I signed up for some yoga. Then I ran across the street to do some meditation. Then I rushed home to cook a slow, you know, and you think, well, that's not, that's not quite what this is all about, right? But the other thing, of course, is that speed, if you think with a capital S, that whole mindset of being constantly on, constantly amped up, fight or flight, uh, marinated in distraction and stimulation and impatience, that's a bit like, that is a kind of addiction, right? And, and, I, and it's an addiction almost at a chem, you know, chemical level, an emotional level. And, and, and no one fixes an addiction overnight, right? So it's there, any form of slowing down requires people to take small steps, to run uh, little projects, uh, little experiments, uh, and realize that there's going to be one step forward. There'll be some withdrawal symptoms like any addict. You're going to go back, right? You're going to go forward again, right? But the, the key here is not to try and do it all in one go, to try little experiments, whether this is in your private life on your own or with your company or your neighborhood or whatever, and just say, okay, I don't know, this week, everybody is going to leave the office when their work is done instead of staying there to look busy. Or this week, everybody's going to switch off their phones for three hours in the morning or, you know, whatever it is, right? Run it for a week and then debrief at the end and say, well, how did that work for us or me? What did it feel like? Did, could I tweak it? Did I learn, you know, and, and just go building your own formula because there's no universal recipe for slowing down, right? Everybody is unique, but the only way, especially people that you described there at the outset, people who have maybe grown up with this and just are just welded into that speed approach you got to go slowly. you got to go gently and they have to experience it. It's not enough to send them persuasive articles or compelling reading, right? Or show them the data. Nah, they've got to experience it. So just run these little projects with them, help them, get them to do it. And, and, and once people taste the upside of slow, as many have done during the pandemic, forced upon them, you know, they don't tend to go back. And look, I totally agree. To me, it's about making small suggestions like let's get out in nature. You know, I love your suggestion yeah. about the notifications. Are there any other sort of small tips, almost like uh, little teasers that we can tell people to try uh, to, you know, wet the whistle, to get them started on this on this road? Yeah. I mean, I think I, think I was, I, I always say, I mean, this has been a pandemic win as well, but just getting in nature, that is so important. I mean, it gets skidded over, but I mean, we know that nature is the ultimate soother, right? Um, get out there, uh, whether it's a park or outside the city, just get into nature where, wherever you can. I think it's important also to try and embed some kind of slow ritual in your day. And that could be anything, whatever 
floats your boat. It could be, I don't know, meditation or yoga or knitting or poetry or um, sketching. I'm, I love sketching things. Um, I'm not very good at it, but it slows me down. You know, just something, and, and just build it into your schedule so that it's there. And it doesn't have to be a five-hour extravaganza, right? It can be just 10 minutes, you know, just to have those little slow moments built into the schedule, ring-fenced off from everything else. And they can, this is a pandemic metaphor, they can vaccinate you against the virus of hurry, right? You know, <laughs> they can be that little moment of inoculation against all that hurry virus. So um, yeah, those would be some some examples of things to do. Yeah, it's it is a it is a virus, you know. So whether when you're slowing down, whether it's slow eating, slow sex, so many great examples. But the the one thing for me is that life's happening. This is it right now, and so many people are yeah. working towards big goals and targets, and they they miss the fact that this is life, right? The life is in these small moments happening. You know, in all that you've learned throughout this journey, you know, what's the the one thing that you think people are missing out on? by living life at the speed that we live. I'll just, it's going to sound a little bit Hallmark card cheesy, but, but love, I think, you know, I mean, we are social animals. Uh, there's a great, uh, I think it's, it's an African proverb, which is if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And it's just a gentle reminder that we, we're at our best. We're at our finest. We're at our most human. We're at our most joyous. We're at our we are at our peak well-being, right? When we do things together, you know, when we connect together. And as we said earlier, the only way to forge those deep connections is by slowing down, right? By being there, present, taking time, attention, slowing down with other people, being of service, all that kind of stuff that takes us out of the selfish vacuum of speed, right? That that the fast forward life so often is, right? It becomes about me, my to-do list, what I'm going to get next from Amazon, right? All that stuff. That push that to side. And I think what you do, if you had to pick one thing, I would say it's the, the social connection, the, the moving away from being alone to being with others together. I, I kind of just want to ask one question on you and how this has changed your life. I mean, we, we started with talking on your son and the bedtime stories, but being, I guess, at the forefront of this movement, the people that you must have helped you know, the, the lives you've changed, how has it been for you to be a part of, of this movement and, and, and the things you've seen? Well, it's been, it's been an extraordinary ride because I, I came into it just, I mean, at the time I wrote In Praise is Slow, my first book, I hadn't written a book before. I was a journalist, a foreign correspondent. And I, I didn't really, really know much about, I mean, I read books, but I didn't really know much about the whole world around them. And, and I just thought I have a, something I want to say and I know how I want to say it. So I just did it. And then within, I mean, as soon as the book landed, it just took, it just landed in the right moment, I think, just the right way with people. And you know, I, I remember I went into, I guess I've always had a save the world complex. So that's why I went into journalism to save the world. And I began to feel I wasn't really saving the world. I was just another wing of the infotainment industry. But I kind of feel like I now with my writing, I'm trying to save the world in a, in a different, more slow way. And it is pretty extraordinary. So, I mean, I, you know, this, I'm years into this now and there is not a day, I kid you not, not a day goes by that I don't get an email or a message from someone somewhere in the world saying, thank you. This has transformed my life, which is a pretty remarkable thing, to be honest. I mean, you know, and we, we didn't, I think, I'm not sure the word purpose even came up in our conversation, but it was hovering there on the fringes of it, right? The kind of finding meaning, finding 
the re- the raison d'etre, the reason, the, the what gets you up in the morning, fire in the belly, and finding that requires you to slow down, to reflect, and so on. And I definitely have found my purpose. I would say, to me, I, I read the book and I read the book again and I read the book again. It landed on me so much because I'm someone that really needed to hear it, you know. And I think that the hope is somewhat selfishly, like there's people in my life I really want to get this message through, and anyone out there that's that's listening to this or watching this right now just to give it a try right just to try it on for size and then see what you think after a bit of experimentating that's that's what we're, that's what we're really asking it's, isn't it it's it's funny that i mean so often like people buy the book or buy my books but particularly in praise and give it to someone else right so they, they leave it on their boss's desk or they'll give it to their partner or they'll you know, give it to a school teacher you know whatever it is but uh i heard a little while ago that my my aunt who lives in uh, sydney australia went to the doctor and she was feeling, you know, she was overwhelmed and stressed out. And she was just, you know, and the doctor reached into his drawer and pulled out a copy of my book and said, I really recommend So I just thought that really has come full circle now. <laughs> it's coming home to roost. <laughs> well, look, Carl, thank you so much for all you do, man. And, um, you know, from on behalf of all the Kiwis uh, and the Aussies, you know, that I think uh, are going to really benefit from this, you know, because at, at the end of it, it's how do we live a more considered life? How do we live our best, our ultimate purpose, right? And uh, I think slowing down, you know, slow down and smell the roses, you know, that saying is 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 quite a, um, it's a thing that we don't do enough. Yeah. I mean, two things I'd just throw in at the end here. One, all the things we've been talking about, none of this is new, right? These are ancient truths, these are old wisdoms. I mean, Socrates talked about the importance of living in the examined life, right? That's yeah. the same thing, looking things through. And then a second thought, I just an, another favorite quote of mine is from Mae West, the actress who once said, uh, anything worth doing is worth doing slowly. And I think that just kind of nails so many things yeah. in, a, in a lovely, concise, Mae Westy sort of way. <laughs> Thank you, Carl. Been a huge pleasure. Thank you. And there it is. If you'd like some more info on Carl, check out his website at carlhonore.info. Hopefully for everyone, there was something to take out of it, finding ways to decelerate the pace of our lives. If you did like it, the ask would be share it with someone that you know who could use a change of pace. Again, we're all going to get the chance to hit the reset button and decide what we want to do differently. And it always starts with one small step. Really, it's whatever works for you. And whatever that is, please share with us on Instagram or online at wearewellbeings and wearewellbeings.com. And beyond that, one more big thank you to AIA Vitality for the support. And until next time, let's support each other as best we can and ask the question, how can we grow through this instead of just go through it? We'll see you next time.